Welcome, everyone, to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned for my fantastic guest, Jeff Abbott. So welcome, everyone. I hope that you're safe. Everybody's happy and healthy. Um, my guest today is international best-selling author Jeff Abbott. Jeff and I have been talking to each other quite a bit over this past year, which is a lot of fun for me. He is one of my favorite authors. I, I've been reading um, some of the reviews about his new book, Never Ask Me, and I have to agree that um, Jeff is kind of the master of twists and turns and he kind of um you really never know where the story's going even though if you look back in this story once you finish the book you'll say ah there's this there's the little key there's the secret he's like a stage musician a magician excuse me that'll kind of toss out these little hints to you and unless you're paying attention to where his hands are he really is the master of misdirection. I'm thrilled to welcome back to Authors on the Air my friend, best-selling author, and award-winning author, Jeff Abbott. Hi, Jeff. Welcome back. Thank you, Pam. It's great to be back. Thank you for that lovely introduction. I feel I like I should have some sleight of hand ready to do, ready to do right now, and I... I, 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 my, I, my hands are, I sprained my wrist, so I can't really do any sleight of hand right now. Oh no, oh no. I I appreciate, I appreciate, I appreciate um, the, the, the very thoughtful introduction. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You know, I have um, a favorite. Mus- I am a big fan of sleight of hand, of close-up magic, and there is a magician who I follow. His name is Shin Lim. He is probably the best sleight of hand magician in the world. So I just was watching one of his newer videos and I was thinking, Oh my God, that's what Jeff does. You kind of, <laughs> you kind of just, when, when I'm anything that I read of yours and you know, I have your whole backlist in my library. So whenever I'm reading anything of yours, I, I always think, wait a minute. I, I was watching and I didn't see that. And then, of course, you weave it all together at the very end of the story. And this one, Never Ask Me, is no exception. So let's, well, first you. of all, let's let you give the elevator pitch on this. because And take your time. Tell us as much or as little as you want at, without any spoilers. Because this is a really fascinating story. Well, it's about an ordinary family and um Lake Haven, which is a a wealthy suburb of Austin, Texas, and um, when a neighbor of theirs is found dead, uh, the four members of the family, the father, Kyle, the mother, Iris, the teenage daughter, Julia, teenage son, Grant, um, are all caught up in this murder, and as the events unfold, they start to think the unthinkable, which is that they begin to suspect each other or that, 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 you know, one of their loved ones may have played a role in this death. And, you know, we hear a lot of thriller authors talk about what would you do to protect your family, but what would you do if you suspected your family? 
of being involved in that was sort of the big one of the one of the dramatic impulses for me in writing this. And I feel like the four characters they all have a secret they all have a, a question they don't want to be asked. And so that's sort of where the idea of calling it never asked me came from. It's a fascinating premise. Um I I've had this conversation not with an author but a friend of mine. We were both victim advocates and um she has a nephew who got into quite a bit of quite a bit of trouble and um she staunchly defended him. Staunchly defended him. And I said, "But you know, what if he had hurt another person?" And she said, it's womb to tomb. Uh, I, you know, I just defend no matter what that's family. And I thought that was really fascinating because, you know, if someone commits a crime that's heinous or has so big of a secret, how do you live with yourself knowing that or suspecting it? Well, how do you live with yourself or how do you live with them? How would exactly. it change the relationship? And you're you're thinking about how the relationship could shift or could change. So, you know, it's one. I think one of the interesting things with this book is um, when my publisher was producing the audio book, they said we want to have four narrators because the book is written. Each chapter shifts and centers on one of these four family members. Right. And so um, not in first person. I did not want to try to write four first person accounts that would have, I would, sure. have, would have had to visit me in the home. But, um, <laughs> um, uh, but there it but centers on, on, on one character's, you know, uh, one character sort of central to it. And so we have a narrator for the dad and for the mom and for the daughter and the son. And at first I was like, I was like, wow, that's, they're going to a lot of trouble for this. And then I thought, well, but that really is sort of key to the story is that they're each telling their side of this as they are both suspecting others and being questioned or, or, or themselves as to what is happening here. What could you know? Um, what are you holding back? Um, and I think we've seen, you know, we've seen some very good mystery stories, classic mystery stories, that center on a family questioning and suspecting each other, you know, like right. Ordeal by Innocence with Agatha Christie or Sure, Night I was Out, just going to say, you know, I was going to say Agatha hit. Christie, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, uh, and or Brat Farrar by Josephine Pay. And so there's a certain dramatic dynamic that happens when the family eye is turning towards each other and is there going to be this, like you said, this defense, this unified wall of silence, or is someone going to cave? What's going to happen? And are they even right? You know, are they right in their suspicions? Because the other, the other flashback, the other, um, the other, you know, uh, the other aspect of that is to say, what you thought I was capable of that, but you know right. me, how could you have thought that I was capable of that? And it's like, you know, Sort of one of the questions in the domestic thriller that gets asked, no matter the book, is what are people capable of? We're sort of continuously surprised by it. So there is me, a theme you know, many times. Myself, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I, I was just going to say when I realized 
that that sort of interplay was possible between these characters. That's when I got really excited about writing the book. I there is a theme running through many mysteries uh, that I have read where one character overhears a portion of a conversation, and that creates um, questions in that character's mind about the person they're listening to. But I don't think it. it by the way, I think it's also very germane to this story that the victim, Danielle Roberts, was um, not only a beloved member of the community, but she was an adoption consultant who who really brought a lot of joy to people in the local community. So to me, that also, I think, is a very strong element of this story. Was that intentional on your part? once you started writing this book? Yeah, the book is um, dedicated to a couple who are close friends with my wife and I who adopted a child from overseas, and they shared their story of the, um, of the whole long, um, sometimes surprising process that they went through in adopting a child from Russia. And wow. I had always thought that is a really interesting, you know, when they would tell me just some of the details about it, some of which made their way into Never Ask Me, um, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, being attacked by a dog at an orphanage. Um, right. That, that an orphanage had guard dogs. You know, she's kind of thinking, why does an orphanage need guard dogs? Are they keeping someone in or keeping someone out? What is going on there? That. You know, they just gave me a lot of details about the process of of that. And it certainly is a major point in the story of how Danielle connected not just to the Pollocks, to these many other families. Um, The town that I live in has a lot of international adoption um, that has gone on. So we know a number of families who have adopted from China or Africa or um, uh, uh, Russia uh, although Russia has stopped offering international adoption right. now, um, but it was. And it's also about you know how uh, of of how do you form how do you form a family? Um, uh, families are not just blood. Families are choice. And you know how does a how does a child who's been brought here internationally feel about fitting into the family? Is that is that always a seamless, easy process? Is it fraught with challenges? Um, you know, it just it seemed like an interesting topic to me, so I was glad to sort of weave that into this story as well. What's interesting to me when I started reading this book a long time ago when I got the, uh, the galley was that um, not only are you telling this story from each of the Pollitt family members, but you're also telling it from transcripts from journals and transcripts from the investigation and transcripts from other sources. I I found that fascinating because I, you know, I, I, I mean, obviously I've read books that have a transcript within the, within the chapter, but you dedicate whole chapters to an interview. Um, And I think that's really interesting. It keeps you grounded in, in the actual, investigation which becomes another character right well and i thought it was (laughs) i thought 
One of the reasons I did that was that I have these four characters kind of all telling their story, and I don't really know how reliable any of them are, right? Right. Uh, They all have their agendas. They all have their worries or concerns. And when you see the word transcript, you kind of feel, oh, well, this will be neutral. You know, this will be this will be the unvarnished um, truth. And so it was sort of two different ways to kind of come at, excuse me, to kind of come at the story um, and to include these other, it's not really something I've ever done before in a book. I don't think I've ever done it in any of the previous 20 books. I mean, I've seen it done to great effect, you know, by other authors, um, but I had never attempted to try it or, or felt the need to have it. And uh, I'm I'm happy with with how the end result was. I thought it was a good balance between the narration of the Pollitt family, and um, and then sort of the voices of authority, <laughs> rather. Right, right, right. You know, Jeff, um, I, I think we first started talking about four four or five years ago. I can't remember the first time you were on this show. It seems to me that you push the writing envelope with each new book that you write. Um, do you think that's an intentional thing on your behalf, or are you, are you just taking ideas and putting them down on paper to see where they go? I, I mean, I, I'm assuming that every writer wants to do better than his last piece of work, but your, your books are so different in every way. Well, uh, thank you. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, I don't know if I, maybe I do, there's some intent there that I want to try to push myself. Um, a lot of times it's just sort of blind terror of like, how am I <laughs> going to tell the story? And is this, you know, because I certainly have, have cer- tried certain attempts that did not work and I had to throw them out. And, um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, I mean, I appreciate the sentiment. I think sometimes I'm just trying to tell the story. I'm not like, wow, is there something technically I can do here that's dazzling? It's more, is this the right way to tell this story? And it seemed to me that the story would have been incomplete if I didn't hear from all four members of the family. I don't right. want to write a story with that many POV. The one I'm writing now has really only two and and that's mm-hmm. sort of a relief um but then you also see the the, the downside of that it was when you have four there's always something happening with four characters so i have these other two characters doing enough you know i worry about stuff like that mostly I right. think i'm always just trying like can i tell this story in an entertaining way in a way that makes sense and it keeps keeps it moving keeps the pages turning and and different stories have different answers to that so i think that's my primary concern but if I'm if I'm if I'm doing something fresh, well, then that's just a I think that's a happy byproduct. Hmm, interesting. Um, when you have the interrogations in the book and the transcripts, I should say, um, isn't a person's answer to law enforcement or to a fact finder what they believe it is sometimes versus what it really is? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> that, yeah. that that that's true um or you know someone is uh shielding another person or blaming right. another person 
Um, right. The the thing is, the police officer is going to ask the follow ups and probe and push and you know if if that is not the truth or not an accurate representation and it's on shaky ground, the answer may waver. So um, I, you know, I also don't think probably families like the Pollets are used to being interrogated by the police. And so right. They're not, right. They're not. They've they've seen it on a TV show, and then it's life, right? And because listen, most families are not used to being interrogated by the police. Absolutely. So, um, you know, it's it's not not a comfortable or or normal type type of activity for for the vast majority of families. So, um, yeah, I I you know I think there there I think a character in this kind of situation is always weighing what should I say, especially when you have this whole familial pressure uh, right. operating at the same time. So right, right. Um, I would cave well, in a moment with a cop. I would just tell everything. <laughs> I have no. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, you've written my confession out. Let me sign right now. Here you go. Oh no, no, Let no! You can never do that. First. <laughs> I, you know, I think that because in my previous professions, I, you know, I've worked for the police and I've I've worked for the the state attorney's office as a victim advocate, and so um, I my listening skills have been sharpened by that. So when I hear someone telling me a story, um, if it doesn't ring true, it's, it's a speed bump for me. So one of the things I appreciated in never ask me is that I could see the speed bumps during the transcripts. I could see where the hesitation, I didn't know why until you wove it all together, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm pretty good at, figuring out who done it but this one really was was a mind boggle for me you know and and, <laughs> and you mentioned you mentioned Agatha Christie and I have to tell you when I first read her books I used to go um down to this little bookstore where Agatha Christie's books were on the spinning rack and um so I picked up one and I, I liked it very much and I liked the mystery and I could never figure it out so then I went back and I ordered all 100 and 10 books or whatever they were in order because oh, I thought that that's how you were spe- well you know you could read an Agatha, Agatha Christie book in an afternoon I never could figure it out I really couldn't yet some books of contemporary writers I figured out right away and I'm I'm almost disappointed by that I want to be shocked I want to be stunned I want to have like a I want to have a red herring at the end or, or a double ending you know that'll confuse me mm-hmm. this was your book kept me on edge I kept saying okay I know who it is now and then no I didn't know I did not know until the end so you know from Mm. someone who reads that much mystery and thriller (laughs) you're welcome I want to backtrack a little bit I appreciate it you're welcome I want to backtrack a little bit and talk about adrenaline panic and collision um are those still in the loop for film um, the Sam Capra books are with a producer who has a lot, very deep television experience on a fair number of prominent shows. Uh, Panic is with another producer. It had been with the Weinstein Company before that, and it moved over to another producer. And then Collision is um, with the same producer that it's been, and they uh, were, last I heard, were interviewing directors. Uh, and 
then uh, Trust Me was optioned. That's a 10-year-old book. It was just kind of optioned out of the blue by um, another producer who has some deep credits in television and film. And um, then I have a short story. They have a finished television pilot script for for a series. Um, But I, uh, um, you know... (laughs) On on the front of things actually starting to be filmed, nothing is happening right now. So, um, right, you know, I've had lots of things optioned. Options come and go. I don't worry right. about it. I'll I'll worry about it when I see it on a screen. Um, there you go. Yeah. Have you any desire so, whatsoever to to write to screenwrite for any of these things? Well, I adapted Panic. That I wrote the pilot. Oh. Um, for for that, I wrote the pilot and the series bible for that. Um, in the other projects, they haven't approached me. Um, that doesn't mean they might not approach me, especially the ones that just started. But um, they have not approached. They have not approached me. If I want to take one of my books and adapt it, one of the ones that's not optioned, you know, I might do that. But are you but interested in? Well, that's what I was going to say. Are you interested in doing that? Because it is such a different form of writing from from doing a full-length novel. Uh, you really have to curate what you're writing, don't you? Yeah, it's faster. <laughs> Definitely faster than writing a novel. I mean, right. um, I've written I've written two television scripts, so I'm not that accomplished. But um, um, you know, one was kind of for fun. And the other one was for the because they had hired me to adapt Panic. Um, it had been adapt, it had been done into two feature screenplays, and they weren't exactly happy with the directions that they took. And so then, when they were talking about adapting it for television, they they came to me, and so I worked on that, and um, I enjoyed the process. It was definitely different. I mean, you can't just Smack the book into a television format. You have to make a lot of different choices, um, and uh, sometimes things that work on the printed page don't work on the screen, and vice versa. So it really is sure. a process of adaptation. It is not translation. So, um, but I enjoyed it. It was, you know, I'm not so precious about my books that I think nothing should change. I think absolutely things should change if they're adapted for television. Make it work better for television or for film. So, right. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see if something happens. If someone approached me about it again, yes, I'd be very open to doing it, um, just depending. Um, or I wow. might undertake it myself when I'm with no pressure. <laughs> Take one there of the books go. that's not under option and do that. So. Well, so now I, I, I want to pull another thread. You said, you know, if someone doesn't like the direction it's going – you're okay with that. You're open to change. I want to talk to you about reviews. Um, you know, there are the trade reviews, some that are paid, some that are not. There are book blurbs from from your contemporaries, and then there are reader reviews. Do any of those things uh, make an impact on you? If someone says, I'm disappointed because of this. Is there ever a learning experience, or do you just ignore them all completely? Well, you know, I don't know that anyone can completely ignore them. You know, right. but sometimes, sometimes, you know, the reader reviews 
uh, you know, will say, well, I didn't like this character. Well, I'm not rewriting the book, you know, for that <laughs> for that character. If it's for that a character. character you don't like, then you probably you probably won't want to read the other books in the series. So you know, sure. many other books for that person to choose from. But sometimes reader sometimes reader reviews are you know very positive, or or if they're really negative, they just didn't care for it. Well, you know, that book is not for them. It's not like right. I think people act sometimes like it's like, well, I'd like to give you a review about the salad that you're selling. That might be <laughs> helpful because I have to make some more salads tomorrow. Right. I'm not right. making a new book tomorrow. I'm not remaking this book because you didn't like it. So right. you didn't like the book, that's fine. Um, you know, and if it was sometimes if it was like a, a consistent chorus of something that somebody didn't, you know, people didn't like, I think that's something you have to take under advisement. Um, but again, it's 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 I don't I don't like go to Amazon and read reviews. You know, right. sometimes people send me their thoughts and email. That's fine, whatever. You know, I don't I don't I don't get I don't get down from it or up from it. I just because you know I have another book due in two months in two weeks, so I'm going wow. to worry about that. You know. Never Ask Me has gotten really, really glowing reviews so far. I'm thrilled it by it. I, 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 I teased my kids. I said, that means the bad review is just around the corner. But I was also like, well, you know what? I'm not stopping and basking in the good reviews. I'm, I have to get this next book done. My editor is expecting it, and that's sort of what I'm worried about right now. So Right. You well, know, can you give us a little a review's excuse? a review. I look at them, and then I don't dwell on them. So. You you write really fast. I mean, this book just just released yesterday, and but I guess it doesn't. You do you do a little less than a book of a year, right? I mean, it takes you a little less no, than a year I, to get a I, no. I, no, I used to. Uh, the previous book, uh, the three bests, came out three bests two years right. ago. Really? Um, and then I had a yeah, it was two years. Almost two years. Yep. Um, yeah, October 2018. Yeah. So, um, yeah, before that, I think I had, it was two years between books, or just about two years. So, it uh, or a year plus, a year and plus. I used to be a book a year, and a couple, couple of years have been maybe two books a year, at least one year, that was true. But, um, yeah. So I'm hoping this the book I'm finishing now should be out next year. So I should be kind of hope to be back on a book a year. Um, but can you give us a, a a sneak peek, a little a little exclusive about the content? Oh, it's 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 a mess right now. Um, it is <laughs> it's about a mess. Uh, uh, it's a mess right now. I have I have I have got to like really fix it in the next two weeks. So. Um, yeah, I I don't I don't I don't know that I can give really a little hint. It is it is about two women uh, brought together under very unusual circumstances. Um, okay, so two women who don't necessarily. Book. No, it is a standalone. Um, it is partly set in Lake Haven, uh, but it's more set elsewhere in Austin. But there are some Lake Haven themes. If I don't write something now in Lake Haven, people here are like, "What? What's going on?" And it's like, you know, it's not even a series. They don't. I only have a couple of of characters who recur from book to book, and they're not major characters. They're supporting right. characters. Right. You know, right. the one lawyer in Lake Haven is really busy in all these books, 
you know, or <laughs> criminal representation. So I've had people in the suburbs here, because there's multiple suburbs with the word lake in them in Austin. Uh-huh. We have a lot of lakes. And so they're like, oh, well, we're Lake Haven. No, we're Lake Haven. I'm like, people are dying in Lake Haven. Why would you want to be Lake Haven? The property right. values are depressed right now. So Right. It's like living in Cabot Cove where you know Jessica's gonna dis- exactly. Jessica is going to discover a body in the town of, you know, 5,000. So, yeah, you don't want, right. you don't exactly. want that. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, does every good mystery or thriller have to have a dead body? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think you can, there, uh, I, I think I'm trying to think of one that doesn't, but, um, you know, I think that the, I think what people care about is the resolution of the problem and the characters and what happens to the characters during the resolution of that problem. So if the problem was a kidnapping or, um, a jewelry theft or another kind of crime, then I think, yeah, it doesn't have to have a body. Mine generally do, um, or always have so far, um, because I think people feel that sort of raises the stakes. But mm-hmm. now I don't think there's any hard or fast rule about that. Interesting. I ask you this every time you're on because you always give me a great answer. If I'm a new writer and um, I want to move forward with my story, what's the best thing for me to do? I've written what I think is my best work. Now what's next? So, so it's finished? Yes. Is it Okay, well then I would say for, for – I would say give it one more rewrite, but I, I mean I don't know. It's, it's hard to – if you think – you said it's as good as you can make it. I well, think then it's I as think good you, as I can make it. Do I find an editor? Well, next? then I. No, you find an agent. Um, really? You would. You would then. Yeah, yeah. Editors. A lot of editors don't look at unsolicited manuscripts. You're taking an editor at a editor at a publishing house, right? Or any editor. Or do you mean I a mean, freelance? Let's well, let's say I don't know what's next. Do I find a freelance copy editor? Do I go to a book group, a writer's group? Do I send out to beta readers? What is, what is the next logical well, step if I, I think I, I've written a great book? Different for every writer, what you're describing ah, there. When, okay. when you, when, I mean, because I don't, I don't know what, when someone says, well, it's the best I can make it. Well, you know, I didn't, I, I don't know what, that would depend really on the individual personality of the author if they're looking for guidance on how to polish it further then sure a freelance editor or a trusted reader um the problem with some some readers is that you know they just ask friends or family and they're not necessarily going to get an honest or a measured appraisal from that when you know there are editors who are, are more widely read in the field and, you know, we're not just going to tell you everything's great because they want you to feel good about yourself. You know, they will strategically, more strategically look at what are the strengths and the weaknesses of the story. You know, right. so a, trust, a, a trusted reader like that or a freelance editor who has experience in your genre would definitely be a help. 
But if you've, if you've already done a ton and ton and ton of rewriting and you feel you've managed to polish it yourself, then you would try to get an agent at that point because the agent would then take it to the editors at a publishing firm. Um, I see. You know, if, assuming that the agent was interested in, in, in representing the book. So, But I think if you wanted to do further polishing than a freelance editor with a good repute who, you know, has clients you've heard of or, you know, has worked on right. books that you've heard of would be one 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 approach. And then if right. after that, if you felt it was polished, polished, polished enough to take to to um, publishing, then, yeah, then and, and trying to get an agent interested would be the next step. Listeners, I am speaking to international best-selling thriller writer Jeff Abbott. For those of you who don't know, um, his novel Adrenaline was considered a summer great reads choice by both the Today Show and Good Morning America. His novel Inside Man was a summer book pick by O, the Oprah Magazine, and a best beach reads by USA Today. He's the winner of the Thriller Award for the last minute and was nominated for the Thriller Award for Panic. He's a three-time nominee for the Mystery Writers of America Edgar Award and a two-time nominee for the Anthony Award. His very first novel, Do Unto Others, won both the Agatha and the McCavity. I am thrilled to talk to you again, Jeff. Please tell everyone where they can find you on the webs and where's your favorite social media site. Um, you can find me on the web at jeffabbott, all one word, dot com. Uh, my favorite social media site? Ooh, I don't know. Uh, I'm on uh, probably the one I check the most is Twitter. So, okay. Because it's easy to check. <laughs> there you go. Um, yep. Okay, and we can find all that information on your website. Um, the new That's book true. is called Never Ask Me. It is available in retailers everywhere. Um, as of yesterday was the official release. And as always, please remember to leave, a, even if you leave, a 10-word review wherever you read your books. Jeff Abbott, thank you so much for being with me. Will you come back thank and play guest Thank you so much. Will you come back and play guest host one day and with someone you like? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe. <laughs> I always ask you that, and you tell me the same thing. I'm I'm hoping to wear you down by numerous <laughs> askings. So, <laughs> thanks again, well, Jeff. Well, I appreciate and, always having me on. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. You do such a wonderful and, job talking oh, to folks. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. And listeners, thanks for being with me, and thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Bye-bye, Jeff. Bye-bye.